You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. The resurrection of Jesus sent shockwaves through the world 2,000 years ago. A man who walked the earth, who said he was God in the flesh, broke down the barriers of communication between us and God. And through his resurrection, through those that believe, we now have access to the Father through Jesus. And as we read the Bible, it's ground zero, generation one of the believers. Generation one of the followers. The very first generation to ever say yes and accept this message of Jesus is what we are reading in the New Testament. One of those communities, a church in the city of Ephesus, is who Paul has been writing to. And Jesus had delegated Paul to bring his message and his truth and to disciple followers 2,000 years ago. And we have those letters today. And that's what we read. And that is what disciples us in God's word. And as we had read over the last uh, couple of months, we have been walking through Ephesians. Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 tells us how to stand in Christ and who we are in Christ and who God says that we are. And then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul begins to talk about, now that you know who you are, now it's time to get dressed and walk out this faith in your daily life, in your family, in your marriage, and in your work. And then in chapters 5 and 6, Paul begins to transition into this challenge to run this race and to, to not just survive, but thrive as a child of God. So we've been looking at how to stand, how to walk, and now as we wrap it up, how to run. And as Paul ends this letter, he actually gives us a challenge. And he says, if you're going to live out all these things that I've been writing to you about, I need to ask you a question. And this is what he asked. uh, And I want to ask you this today, probably one of the more important questions you'll ever be asked. And that is, are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fight? Ephesians 6.10, let's pick up where we left off. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. That's spirit realm authorities. That's not government officials. That's not politicians. He says, but against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, what I'm going to do today is a little different, something I've never done before, is I'm going to actually end a series and begin a series all on the same day. I'm going to end Ephesians right now with this section on Ephesians, but we're going to begin today a, a series called The Invisible War, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the concepts of Ephesians chapter 6 and in spiritual prayer and warfare uh, over the next couple of weeks. And I think it's probably one of the more important things you'll ever hear in your Christian life and journey because he asks you, are you ready to fight? A couple of things that stand out just right off the top of these verses, I want you to write this down. A few things that I want you to open your eyes about. Number one is that we are not alone. We're not alone. And I'm not talking about aliens. I'm talking about spiritual forces. There is an invisible world all around us. And it's not just as real. It's more real than what you see. Everything we see, your flesh and blood, your body, these chairs, this building, the car you came here in, everything you see will dissolve, decay, break down, and pass away. But not 
what is inside of you, your soul. And there's in this very room a world of spiritual forces that you cannot even see, but they are here. They're present now in this place and in this world. Both good and evil are at work in this room right now. And the Bible tells us a lot about it in the Old Testament, talks a lot about it in the New Testament. All of the apostles talked about this very real, invisible, spiritual world. And Jesus talked about it almost more than anybody else in the entire Bible, the reality that we are not alone. And unbeknownst to us, we are seeing uh, the result of a war that's going on behind the scenes. And this is the second thing, is that we are in a war. We are in a war. He says this struggle that we are in or this battle that we are in, the, war, the word there means war. This war that we are in, this battle that we are in by Christians, if you've ever been a Christian at all for a few years and maybe this whole Christian thing is new to you, in the Christian community, it's known as spiritual warfare. The word spiritual warfare is that there is a war going on in the spirit realm and it is very real. And it is active, and even right now, there's a war happening in your life and in this world. And it may seem confusing, this concept of it, but it's not fought with guns and bombs, uh, nunchucks and uh, slingshots. It's not fought in the voting booth. It's not fought uh, in this world, but with, a, with the most powerful weapon on earth. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the most powerful, most incredibly strong, potent weapon ever, and that is our prayer. There's another world we can't see, an invisible world. But some of you, the tragedy is you have no idea. You don't see it, and you treat this world like a playground rather than a battleground. But there is a war going on, and I want you to open your eyes, hopefully, this week uh, and in the coming weeks to, to know this. Write down this verse, uh, 2 Kings 6, verse 15 and 17. It's in your notes. You can circle it if you want. And um, read it. Check it out later. It, it, there's a moment in the, in the Old Testament where someone is praying to God, and, and they open their eyes, and they can actually see for a moment the spirits around them. And it's an incredible little story in 2 Kings. Here's the third thing. Not only are we not alone, not only are we at war, but this is important to know that we have an enemy. We have an enemy, and the enemy is not people. The enemy is not politicians. The enemy is not uh, a coworker. The enemy is not your dad. It's not your boss. It's not your parents. The enemy is not a mother-in-law, as much as you might think that it is. It's not a bully at school. Your enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans or a president or some congressman. The, the enemy is not Hollywood. The enemy is not TV personalities. The, the enemy is not some musician or singer or, or the culture. That is not the enemy. There is an enemy. And the Bible defines him that his name, we know him as the devil and his fallen angels. This is the enemy. Verse 12 says that we fight against the powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In this world, the heavenly realms means the, the air. That's what it means. It doesn't mean like out in the galaxies, you know, like on Pluto. It means like in the heavenly realms, in the air around us. There is, even in this room right now, spiritual forces at work. And the enemy is at work right now in this room. He is ferociously fierce and fearless and severely vicious. He is someone who is real, and he has a plan for your life. Listen to me. The devil has a plan 
for your life. He has a plan for your friendships. He has a plan for your marriage. He has a plan for your children. He has a plan for your future. The enemy has a plan for your eternity. He has an idea of what he wants for your life, and he's out there to destroy you. Listen, the Bible calls him by many names. He is known as Satan, the devil, the serpent, the great dragon, the deceiver, the murderer, the accuser, the adversary, the thief, the lawless one, the rebellious one. He's even called the enemy of our soul. He's also called a wolf and a son of darkness and the father of lies. We're going to talk more about him next week, but I want to give you some good news up front. Here's the good news. God is almighty and Jesus is already one. Satan is a created being with very limited power. He is not equal to God in any way, not in even the smallest way. He is an angel that has rebelled against his purpose that he was created for. He has very limited power that only an angel has, but he has a plan. And we're going to talk about his schemes here in a minute, but it's good for you to know that, that God is more powerful and it's not an arm wrestling match and it's close. No, it is, it is like you and an ant. Pop, it's done. The enemy is nothing compared to God. Don't let that lie of fear about who he is invade your life. But here's the bad news. The bad news is the enemy won't give up quietly. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he has his sights set on you. 1 Peter 5a says this. Peter the apostle, he writes, be alert. That means be ready, be concerned, be, uh, be aware, and be sober-minded. That means take this seriously. Listen, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what he's doing. He's even in this room right now through his agents other fallen spirits, because this is important, and we're going to talk about this next week. The devil is not omnipresent like God. So he's, he's only in one place at one time, but he has, has an army of fallen spirits that are working on his behalf and in his name. And there are some in this room right now that are trying to distract you, to discourage you, and tear you down. He's invisible. He is evil. He hates you, and he's on the tack. He wants to devour you. So what does this mean? Well, a couple of things before we dive into his schemes. I want you to know this. This is important. It does not mean that the devil is behind everything that's bad. Every time you get sick, it's not the devil. Every time there's a, something happens in the news, it's not the devil. Every time you get a flat tire, it's not the devil. The Bible tells us that evil comes from three places. The first place is our flesh, our evil desires. That we are born with a sin nature bent towards selfishness, bent towards evil, and we are inclined to follow our flesh unless we say no to it. We are naturally sinners. That's what the Bible says. We naturally sin. You know what we don't naturally do? We don't naturally seek God. We don't naturally do what is right. We naturally sin, and our sinful desires bend us towards destructive and self-destructive behavior. So a lot of the evil in this world comes from our self and our selfish desires. Second, the Bible says that the world is a, is a place where evil comes from. How is the world a place where evil comes from? Because it's filled with people who follow their evil desires. And we are living the fruit of other people's selfish and harmful and dangerous choices. And we are all living in the repercussions of a fallen world. Living in a fallen world where there is sickness, where there is disease. And the third place evil comes from is the enemy. 
the devil. So not everything that's bad is from the devil. It could be your flesh, could be the world, a fallen world following after the desires of its own flesh or the enemy. Here's another thing it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that every sickness and every disease is from the enemy. That, the sniffles, that's not from the enemy. You just got the sniffles, yo. There's a virus going around. <laughs> you know, every time you're about to give a project speech and you get the hiccups, that's not the enemy, all right? Every time you get a flat tire, every, if you get a bad report, you know, cancer isn't necessarily from the enemy. Mental disorders are not necessarily from the enemy. The Bible tells us that we live in a fallen world that is broken. My genes are broken. Our, my genes are in decay. And every person alive will die from sickness or from a tragedy, a sudden tragedy or a sickness. Every one of us, because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes the enemy does attack with sickness. Sometimes the enemy does attack with spiritual attack on the mind. But let me tell you something. Every time you're sick and every sickness is not a result of the enemy, sometimes it's the result of a fallen world. And knowing the discernment between the two is very important in understanding the spiritual war that we're in. Sometimes you're fighting the enemy when what you need to do is just trust God in that area of your life. So what does this mean? It means we need to know his schemes. Verse 11, he says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So I want to I take a couple minutes. I'm going to tell you what some of his schemes are. Here's the first one. It's a very powerful one. His schemes are, number one, to blind you. Spiritual blindness. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2 and 3. We read it and went through it a couple of weeks back. He seeks to blind you, to cover your eyes from the truth. See, the enemy works over time to bring opposition to anyone coming closer to Jesus Christ. Man, if you're not walking with Jesus, he's just happy. It doesn't matter whether you serve any God or any deity. He's not trying to make you a Satan worshiper. He doesn't care if you worship him or not. His goal is not to make us all Satanists. He just doesn't want you to worship God, the true and living God. So he will distract and pull you away and blind you and cover you to the truth and lie to you. The enemy works over time using distractions, uh, denial and pride. Some of you are struggling right now even just to follow this sermon. Some of you are struggling right now just to follow along because the enemy is blinding you even right now from the truth. He wants you to check out. He wants you to zone out. He wants you to fall asleep. The enemy has you in his sights to blind you from the truth. He doesn't want you free. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled or covered or blind, it is veiled or they can't see it to those who are perishing. The God of this age, talking about Satan, by the way, whenever you see this phrase, the God of this age, it's not calling him a God. Some people say, well, the devil's the God of this world. No, he is not. The Bible says that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of all, the God of all. The enemy has no authority here. Jesus didn't temporarily give him authority with the fall of Adam. Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. He is the, the king of all. All things happen or sustained through him and by him and for him. What does it mean, the God of this age? When you see the lowercase g, it means false idol. The false idol of this age. There are many people following false idols, but the primary false idol of this age is 
the devil. And it says the false idol of this age, he's not a god, he's a false idol, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This false idol is at work to blind you. Have you ever tried to talk to someone about Jesus but they just won't have it? You can talk about spiritual things. You can talk about any religion in the world. But as soon as you talk about Jesus, you like there's this wall of resistance. It's because the enemy is at work to blind them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And we need to understand this in our prayers for these people that the enemy is here to blind the eyes of those. And some of you, he's blinding you, which is the, leads us to the next thing, is that not only is he out to blind you, but he's here to accuse you. You know, we sang uh, a song earlier, You Say. Beautiful song, Sierra. That was awesome. It's a great song by Lauren Daigle. Beautiful. And uh, you sang a fallus. But there's this, there's this phrase, is that, you know, the enemy says I'm nothing, that I'm a loser, that I'm not enough, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm not loved, and that I, I've gone too far, and that God would never want me, or that nobody loves me, nobody cares for me. I look in the mirror, and I see these lies about me, but somehow I start believing them. But what God says it's something totally different. But what the enemy likes to do as the accuser is to come and say, well, you've gone too far. You've done too much. That sin is too bad. You, you, uh, uh, you know, have crossed the line and God has, has had his limit with you. He's the accuser. Some of you, you've asked for forgiveness and he brings back those past sins. He says, well, you did this. Why would he answer your prayer now? Or you did this. Why would God want to move in your life ever again? The enemy is a liar. He is an accuser of the brethren. Satan's name in the Old Testament is not the devil. It's translated the devil. You know what the word there in the Old Testament is? Adversary. Every time you see the word devil in the Old Testament, it's the word adversary and accuser. Because that is his primary role in our life. To come against what God says. In the New Testament, we see the same thing. He says, you can't tell your wife, she won't love you. You can't tell your friend, they will disown you. You can't confess that to God. He doesn't, he doesn't see that, that that is ever, ever usable in your future. Nobody will love you. He'll say that you're a loser, that God's given up on you. These are lies. Some of you have listened to the accuser so long, you start to believe that they're true. That's a scheme of the enemy. Here's another one. He not only is here to... to to, do, uh, to accuse you and to blind you, but he's here to deceive you. It's probably one of his most powerful tools because there's a whole group of Christians that buy into this scheme. They are deceived. They are deceived in many ways. False teaching. There are a lot of Christians that buy into false teaching of who Jesus is and who God is and even of what prayer is, and they buy into this lie, and the enemy's like, that's cool with me. As long as you don't believe the truth and it keeps you in guilt and shame or fear and anxiety, the devil's okay with that. If he can make a Christian ineffective, the devil's a winner. And we buy the lies of fear and anxiety. We buy into these lies that nothing's ever going to change in my life. God's never going to be able to work in my life. Or something's wrong with me and that's why this isn't happening in my life. And we start to think that somehow you have the power to unlock your life. You don't. God has the power. But these are lies of false theology that creep into the church. 
or maybe destroyed, uh, deceived by the bondage of religion. Some of you are like, man, I want to love Jesus, but I just, I got to be a better person. And that somehow God will love me if I go to church more, if I give more, or if I volunteer more, if I don't cuss, or if I don't smoke, or if I don't do these certain things. I mean, these are things that maybe could be healthy for you or unhealthy for you. But God loves you because of Jesus. Not because of what you do. And when we buy into the lie that somehow religion will cause God to love us more, then you bought a lie, and that's deception, and the devil loves it. You bought into a scheme. Or maybe some of you, you're led by feeling. You're led by your heart, when the Bible says our heart is incredibly deceptive and wicked. And we're led by our heart and our opinions and our emotions and our feelings. That's deception. Some of you are deceived by believing a lie. Some of you believe that what the Bible says is sin, you say is not sin. Some of you, the things that you do, you excuse them as being old school, old fashioned, or, or not applicable to today. You know what? You bought a lie. That's deception. When you say that something God says is evil, and then you say that it's good or not evil, you've bought a lie. And the devil is deceiving you, and he's lying to you. Deception, whenever there is lying and deceit, the enemy is at work. This is what Jesus said to the hypocrites, spiritual leaders, so-called. Pharisees, they were the pastors of his day. He says this, you Pharisees or pastors, ministers, people who think you know a lot about God, says you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Some of you guys, you're lying to your wife right now. You're lying to your husband. You're lying to your boss. You're lying to your parents. You're lying to your teacher. You're lying to your friends. And when you lie and when you deceive others, you are being used by Satan. And you will reap the fruit of that in your life. He is a deceiver. Here's the next thing. His another, another scheme is to divide you. Is division. And this is his primary tool in the church, is to divide the body of Christ, to divide churches from, they want, he would rather turn a church into a place of politics, uh, of, 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 uh, of popularity. He would rather turn a, a church into a, a place of, of position jockeying, you know, rather than a place of God's love and expression of his love to the community and the world. And so we have people that just bicker and argue over every little kind of thing. And they're like, they draw a line and they're like, uh, that shouldn't be drawn. And they get mad and they get angry and they leave. And you know what? They're going to end up leaving another place someday if they have that same attitude. You know, I had a person a few years back and, and she was very sincere when she told me this. She said after one of our membership classes, she says, I'm so glad I finally found a church where I agree with everything that my pastor believes. And I said, stick around. <laughs> because there's a probably a real good chance that we're not going to agree about everything. And as soon as she found something we didn't agree on, guess what? She was gone. See, there are things that we put our feet in the ground on, the essentials that we stand locked arm on, and that we hold tightly. But there are a lot of things that we can discuss and we can debate, but we don't need to divide over. But the enemy comes in to divide us, to, to separate us. You get your feelings hurt. You're not invited to a party. You get left out. 
you know, or somebody forgot to call you, or you volunteered for a ministry and something didn't happen the way that you liked, and so you've written off ever volunteering again. Or somebody said something, or the pastor's attitude, he walked past you, he didn't notice you, whatever it is. And then you nurse it, and you coddle that pain and that unforgiveness, and eventually it drives a wedge of division into your heart between people in the church and yourself. And you don't really know what it was, but it's there, and it's growing, and it's getting bigger. That's the scheme of the enemy to divide you. Ephesians 4.26, Paul says this earlier in the letter. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And this is why, because he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. I tell you, when you get angry with somebody and you choose not to reconcile, you're putting the devil in your life. You're, getting, you're giving him an opportunity to put a foot in your relationships, in your church, in your marriage, in your home, in your family. When you, when you choose not to forgive and you let division make its way, the enemy's got a foot in your life. The enemy wants to destroy the body of Christ by tearing us apart, to use hard and unforgiving hearts to keep us divided. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.10. He says, anyone you forgive, I will also forgive. And, and what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. He says, I'm going to forgive you. You need to forgive me. We need to forgive each other. And if I've forgiven people, you need to forgive them. That's basically what he's saying. Why is the next verse? He says, why do we do this? Verse 11 we do this in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The enemy has a scheme, has a plan to destroy us and tear us apart through division and unforgiveness. The bulk of the New Testament was written as a warning to the enemy's schemes to divide the church through unforgiveness and false teaching. Here's the next thing, is the enemy also wants to trick you he wants to trick you into believing that God's not good. When you think of the very first sin, you think back of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. Eve was approached by the enemy, the serpent, who was, uh, um, who was you know, the, 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 the spirit of the devil was, was moving in that creature it's hard to understand or explain that situation, but Jesus said it was real. The apostles said it was real. Uh, Jesus is God. I believe Jesus. You know, it's not symbolic to me. It is a real event. I don't understand it. Happened a long time ago, but Jesus says it's real. I believe it's real. And the enemy approaches Eve, and, and, and then soon after that, Adam. And, and you know what he says to them? You know what lie he gave to them? God is holding out on you. That was the lie. You can have that because God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you to experience the things that he experienced. God doesn't want you to know certain things. God's holding out on you. He's not really good and not looking out for your best interest. And some of you, the enemy is lying to you in the same way. You think that God's challenging us to, to purity if you're a single adult and God says don't have sex for marriage. You might be thinking the enemy's going, God just doesn't understand. He's wanting to, uh, for you not to have a good time. He's not wanting uh, you to experience the love of, of another person. No, God loves you too much to let you throw it away with someone you're not committed to and married to. And so we believe this lie that somehow God is holding out on us something good. But we then let our feelings take over and we buy into the other scheme of the enemy of deception and lies. And we begin to think, well, maybe God's not that good. 
or tragedy comes. God, how could you do this to my dad? How could you do this to my mom? God, how could you do this to my family, to my life? God, you know I needed this. And we begin to question, maybe, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God's not good. Maybe he doesn't have my best in plan in my life. And the enemy has tricked you. He has lied to you. And he's causing you to believe through this lie that God's not good. Look at Matthew 13, verse 19. It says, anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the devil, comes and snatches away what has sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path, the hard ground. This is a picture of the devil trying to snatch the truth out of our heart and our life. As soon as it drops on our life, the enemy is there to trick you, to lie to you, and to snatch it away, to rob what God wants to do in your life, to doubt God's word and his goodness. Here's the next thing. He also wants to ensnare you. The word ensnare means to trap you. A snare is a trap. And the enemy has a scheme to ensnare you. He sets a trap. He lures you. And he uses what you have a weakness in. Let me tell you something. Every person in this room, we have a weakness. Every one of you. Don't look to your neighbor and try to figure it out. <laughs> I wonder what yours is. <laughs> we all have one. I have one. We all have temptation. We all have an area of our life. See, the enemy makes it his business to study our life, to watch our habits. And he knows our weakness. And he sets a trap in our area of weakness. He will set that trap. You know, I, I uh, had bought this trap at a, like a, at a tractor supply. It's this cage, you know. And you put it, you put it uh, you know, something appetizing in it, something yummy, tasty, depending on what you, they have big traps for like, like the bigger animals and, you know, for, and then they have medium size for like raccoons and possums and small ones for squirrels and rats and stuff. But you, you put the lure for the item that you want to catch. Like if you want to catch a rat, there's certain food. If you want to catch a raccoon, there's certain food. If you want to catch a, an opossum, which is what we have here in Texas, use a certain type of food. And when they get in there, boom, that door shuts behind them and they're trapped, baby. They're not coming out. And then you got to figure out what to do with them, which I don't know what to do with them. I know somebody in our church, he says, I know what to do with them. Eat them. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like God is saying, it's a trap. The enemy knows your weakness. And he's got a door ready to entrap you. Second Timothy, the apostle Paul writes to his young pastor, uh, ment uh, someone who's mentoring Timothy, he says this in chapter 2, verse 26. He says, pray that those who have fallen away, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You know, I think about a time when, when we had a, an opossum stuck under our shed quite a few years ago. And... Um, uh, we had a Jack Russell Terrier, and those are high-level dogs, right? So if you're, you must be a dog expert to have a Jack Russell Terrier. Anybody ever had one of those? It's like a dog that is unlike one of the smartest, most brilliant, hyper, weird, hilariously fun dogs you'll ever have. But they're the most frustrating dogs because they're constantly trying to run away. They always come back because they love you, but they're always trying to get out and explore because they have a brain that never stops. They climb trees. They can jump over a nine-foot 
fence. They're crazy. Day we bought them, I'm in the attic, and I turn around, and the dog's in the attic. They're like crazy. The dog will climb, go anywhere, do things. Well, this once they get their eyes and their mind set on something, they don't stop. And we had this possum, opossum, under our shed, and he was under there for hours and hours. You know, they would get this little thing. You know, and then the possum would like play dead because that's what they do, you know, for a few minutes. And he'll just sit there. And as soon as he touches it, it moves and you're. And our neighbors were over there and I came home and my wife's like, you got to help us. He, Jack won't come out. That's the name of our Jack Russell. Very creative, wasn't it? So Jack was under there and I had to grab him by the tail and he's like clawing all the way. And I'm pulling him out. And I, and I got him out. We had to put him away. I'm like, how are we going to get this possum out? Because he's just making noise, and it's kind of creepy and scary, and that means we can't let our dog out of the house. So, so I had to go back to the other side of the fence, had to get a stick and poke him out and, and, and lure him out with, a, with some food and some other items and, and push. And, 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 and finally, on the other side of the fence, I was able to scoop him up and get him, and I put him in a bucket, right? And when I, put him, when I pulled him out and he finally saw me, he goes, Right? And so, and then I put the bucket on him, and then you hear him in the bucket just kind of going crazy. And I lift the bucket, and he goes, <laughs> it's kind of it's hilarious. We had to call animal control. And finally they came and got him because we didn't know what to do with him afterwards. But let me tell you, the enemy sets a trap for us. And he knows what our weaknesses are. And you can play dead all day long. With the enemy and think he's just going to go away. But guess what? He ain't going away. You can be in denial that the enemy is not going to get the best of you. But if you don't understand that the enemy is out to entrap you, to keep you captive, and to control you by your own weaknesses and struggles, then you will fall to his scheme. He will tempt us in areas of weakness to hold us captive to addiction, to sin, to depression, to loneliness, to laziness, to apathy, and to fear. You know, this holiday month, we have, like, fears. It's overwhelming when it comes to, like, Halloween and these kind of obsessions with darkness. And, and Christians, come on. Don't buy the lie. Don't be, in, you know, pulled in by the, by the trap and the temptation of the enemy. Listen. There, you are more powerful in Christ than anything the enemy has to come against you. But I tell you, a lot of Christians, they live in fear over the devil. They live in fear over the enemy, and they like get all scared in October. You know, like I used to do, turn the lights off and pray that nobody comes by. And all night long, the doorbell's ringing, and we're like scared to answer. Like a four-year-old in a vampire outfit, we're scared of that. And we got to get out of the house. Somebody's got to be having a fall festival somewhere. You're right. But then we're like, you know what? We're going to be aligned. I'm afraid of the devil. I'm not going to buy into his captivity even on that night. I'm not going to be held captive to my house. Here's the next one. He tries to stop you. The Apostle Paul told this to the church in Thessalonians. He says in Thessalonians 2.18, he says, For we wanted to come to you certainly, I, Paul did, again and again, but Satan stopped us. See, specifically, the devil is trying to stop the work of God through your life. Here's the difference between you and Paul. Paul said, 
not going to have it. I'm still moving forward. The devil may try to stop me. The devil may shut the doors. The devil may, you know, discourage me, may put roadblocks, but I am not stopping. I'm pushing forward. I'm writing a letter. I'm letting you know I wanted to come and I'm still going to be coming. The devil's stopping me, but he's not going to stop me. Some of you, you get discouraged. You, you, a wall goes up or a door gets shut or a window gets slammed and you get sick or you get discouraged or you get some news or, or something happens and all of a sudden you shut down. You're like, oh, I just need to give up. The enemy's like, gotcha. You know, some of you, you, you gave up reading your Bible because you just couldn't get the habit down or because you got discouraged or because something bad happened. The enemy's like, yes, stopped you. Some of you try to develop a life of prayer and then you just get busy and overwhelmed and and, and you just can't find a time to put it in. Or maybe you prayed and really hard and it didn't get answered the way you wanted it. And so you give up a prayer. The enemy's like, God, gotcha. Stopped you. See, the enemy works to put the brakes on what God wants to do in your life. To get you off course. To stop you growing. And to get you thinking about what you want rather than what God wants. He's out to stop you. Here's another thing. He's out to destroy you. John 10.10, this is one of those handful of verses as a Christian you need to memorize, John 10.10, says the thief, the enemy, the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy you. That's his plan. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life abundant. See, the enemy comes to kill you. Listen, the enemy wants to kill you. He wants to destroy and kill your dreams. He wants to steal from you your family and to destroy your family. He is out to pulverize your future. He is out to waste away your kids. The word destroy there means to lay waste. See, the enemy is here to kill you, to steal anything God wants to do in you, and to destroy your future and potential but thank God, Jesus has a plan too. And if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation, and his plan is life and life abundant in this life and in the life to come. So with this in mind, Ephesians 6 tells us a few things to know about spiritual warfare. And again, we're kicking off a new series with the end of this one today. Don't miss the coming weeks as we dive a little bit more into the spirit realm, the spirit world, spiritual warfare, and prayer. But this is what it says in Ephesians 6 as we close this series in Ephesians. He picks up here. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Those are the errors we just talked about. Now, here's the key. You can't win this on your own. You can't do this on your own. He says, be strong in the Lord. Everybody say, in the Lord. And in his mighty power, say his mighty power. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It all begins with the Lord's strength. It all begins with the Lord's power. This is not your power. This is not your strength. This is not your abilities. It's not your determination. It's not your positive thinking or good, you know, energy that you put across Everything Paul says hangs on this very thing. It's only through the strength and power of God. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, what the number one movie genre in the world is. Guess what it is? 
Horror, right. Horror movies. It used to be just the September-October thing. Now, it's usually the number one movies except for blockbuster seasons like July and uh, Thanksgiving weekend is um, the number one genre per month on average is horror films. Now there's like two to three, sometimes more per month that come out. It's the guaranteed success. Even the, the terrible ones are blockbusters, all right? Because people are obsessed with darkness because our sinful nature is bent towards this obsession with darkness. So we're drawn to sinful nature, darkness things. So this obsession with darkness, if you've ever watched scary movies, and you know, if you do, you know, if you struggle with depression, fear, anxiety, or worry, don't watch them. It's not healthy for you. And as a Christian, I think you should weigh them very seriously on how healthy it is for you. But here's what I find about scary movies. And I've watched some, and occasionally I'll watch one. Here's what I've found. They're lying to us. <laughs> They're not telling us the truth. In almost every case, one of two things happens. Either the enemy always wins, the guy comes back to life at the end, there's a new killer, a new slasher, or some image that, that kind of gives the impression it's not over because there's a sequel coming. <laughs> you know, they want your money, so as long as it's a, you know, if it's a good hit, they always got to leave room for another one. So at the end of almost every one of these, evil triumphs, right? And in the ones where it doesn't, guess how evil is combated? Through bravery, through goodness, and through love. Listen. There's no amount of bravery that's ever going to conquer the enemy. There's no level of good that will ever conquer the enemy. There's no measure of love that you can muster for your family and for others that will conquer the enemy. It is only through Jesus Christ that the enemy is conquered and, and, and beaten. And these movies give this impression that either, either the enemy is unbeatable or that somehow you, through your goodness and positive actions, can bring an end to the evil, but you can't. You cannot win over the enemy without Jesus. Some of you are like, well, this is kind of freaking me out. Some of you are like, I don't know if I'm ready and prepared to engage in the enemy. Well, that's good because when you are at your weakest, he is at his strongest. And you don't have to be afraid of the enemy if you are a Christian. It's a good thing because you are more likely to lean and trust in God's strength and not your own. Weakness is an advantage in this war with the enemy. In Christ, we are strong. Only Jesus can defeat the enemy. And if you're not a Christian, you should be very concerned. You need his power. Again, he says in Ephesians 6.13, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Some of you say, your translations say, the whole armor. Here's the second thing I want you to write this down, is that this is an all-in fight. This is not a part-in what he does is he gives us weapons and armor. He's going to describe them here in a minute. I'm not going to read them today. We're going to look at them uh, next week, the armor of God. But he, he doesn't say, all right, just pick two out of the five and you're good to go. He said, put on the whole armor. Put it all on. All these pieces of armor that we're going to talk about next week all have to deal with parts of our spiritual life that we must engage, embrace, and wear daily in our life to combat the enemy who is constantly on the attack against us. In God's strength with the full armor, the knowledge of who God is in us, this full armor, we are able to combat the enemy. This is not a partial in fight. 
This is not something you can kind of just check in on Sunday, say a prayer, and believe that the enemy is going to be, you know, running from you. No, this is an all-in. The enemy does not mess around. He's not something you kind of fight. Following Jesus is not a no half or half efforts fight. I think of uh, D-Day. I don't know if you're familiar with D-Day. It's probably an event in history that is rarely talked about to the level that it needs to be talked about because on D-Day, when we stormed the beaches of Normandy in World War II, it was a turning point for the world. Had this event not happened the way that it turned out, we would today be under German rule. In fact, we were losing the war of World War II until this event happened There was a a mass strategy that took months to prepare. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of soldiers and men, ally armies united, storming the, the, the beaches of Normandy in France all at once. One of the greatest, most intense talked about battles is the is the beach of Omaha. 132 Allied troops stormed the beaches. In one day, 4,413 men died in one day. 2,000 men died in 15 minutes. 2,000. And they stood their ground and they kept, as they were plowing through, the ones in the front knew their lives were going to be lost. They knew it. But if they hadn't taken that stand and had an all-in heart and desire to see victory... We would be a different nation today than we are right now. Our whole freedom as a country, as a world, was shifted on that day on the beaches of Normandy because men took their stand and didn't quit. But I'll tell you something, none of them showed up in a bathing suit, suntan lotion, and a beach towel on those beaches. They showed up to fight. They showed up to take on the enemy knowing that they might have to give their life in order to secure and to turn the fates of history. Some of you, it's time to embrace this fight, to go all in. Ephesians 6.13, he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. It doesn't say if uh, that day comes. It's coming. It's coming. The day of evil comes. It's coming in your family. It's coming in your life. It may be this week. It may be that phone call. It may be that, that pink slip. It may be that bankruptcy. It may be a turn of an economy. It may be anything. But the day of evil is coming. And when it comes, I'll be ready. Will you be ready? Clothed in the full armor of God. God is my strength and as my power. He says, so that when the day of evil comes, when he attacks you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. I love this picture. After you've done everything to stand, stand. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. And when you're tired, you stand. And when you feel weak, you stand. And when you feel beat, You stand. And when you feel defeated, you stand. And when you feel like you can't take another step, you grab somebody's arm and you stand. 
I tell you one thing, the enemy is tenacious. He does not quit. He doesn't have a day off. You might feel like, oh, it's a victory, so I'm going to lay low in Christ for the next month or weeks. I'm just going to skip a few Sundays. I'm not going to pray for a while. I'm not going to read my word. I'm good. Man, I got a victory in my belt. Listen, the enemy doesn't take a break on you. You got to give him that. He is tenacious. He doesn't quit. And when he attacks, and he will attack, stand, stand, stand. I love this. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand some more. Because the enemy's going to keep coming. And you hold on to each other. And you stand. Because it's all in. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17 talks about the spiritual armor of God. We're going to talk about that next week. It's the uniform and the weapons of our warfare. They each represent part of the battle and all that God has given us. Don't fight naked. That's next week. Don't miss it more on this. Uh, Let's go on to verse 18. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. That means be ready. Be knowledgeable, don't be fooled, right? Be alert, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Here's the next thing I want you to know. Prayer is our weapon of war. That is your weapon of war. Your prayers are far more powerful than you realize. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. He says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. He says, the weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. He says, on the contrary, check this out. They have divine power to demolish, to pulverize, to destroy, to tear down spiritual strongholds. Through our prayers, God is working and moving to accomplish his will, to destroy the work of the enemy. When the enemy hits hard, when the attack is on, when you are beat and bloody, and when you are staring temptation down, and when habits are looking at you square in the eye to destroy you, and when sickness grabs your ankles, you pray. There's nothing more powerful on this planet than your prayer. If you're a Christian, what you think just hits the ceiling reaches the very throne room of God. And if you feel like you're under attack, maybe that's God saying, get on your knees. Get on your face and call out to God. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Be alert. Keep on praying. You know, when I go out through my day, and uh, the Lord is constantly charging and challenging me to pray. I'll be driving, and God will say, see that person on the corner? You pray for them right now. See that person in that car next to you? You pray for them right now. I'm at restaurants, and God says, see that wife and that husband? You know, pray for them right now. I was meeting lunch with with, uh, Dave this week, and I couldn't get my mind off the table behind us because God was telling me to pray for this mother and her son. And all I could do was just keep praying for them. And and I'm praying for you, and God puts it on my heart. I don't just pray before meals, and I'm just not praying when there's a crisis or when there's trouble. Man, I'm being led of the Spirit, and so can you, to be led by the Spirit to pray on all occasions, to be led by God. Not just a crisis prayer, but someone who walks in prayer. When you hear his voice about a friend, about a neighbor, about a coworker, a family member, someone you haven't talked to, that's God saying pray for them, being led of the Spirit. 
He says, pray on all occasions because this is a weapon led by the Spirit to tear down strongholds. Ephesians 6, 19, he says, pray for me also. Guys, listen, don't forget to pray for your pastor. I need your prayers. You want me to pray for you, and I pray for you. I pray for, for you by name, and when God moves in my heart, when I go through my prayer time, and I pray for many of you, I pray for our leaders, and don't forget to pray for us. Don't forget to pray for your pastors and your leaders. Don't forget to pray for those. Paul says, I need your prayers. He says, don't forget to pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the message of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. He was in prison when he wrote this. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. I tell you, when you pray for somebody, I think you are knit spiritually in a very unique and special way. When you begin to pray, God begins to tear down strongholds on your behalf to do his will. I want you to write this down. Why was he saying fearless? Because he knew that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have no need to be afraid of the demonic realm. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy because guess what? You've won. The battle is won. You can with boldness know that Jesus has won. Without him, you will lose, but with him, you have already won. We are not fighting to win. We are enforcing the victory already secured on the cross of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are not losing. You are not losing. You have already won. You're, you don't have to live discouraged and in fear and anxiety. You don't have to live with this anxiety of, of, of if your family's going to work out, your finances are going to work out, if you're going to survive the economy, or if, if this world is falling apart. You don't have to be afraid. You've won. Jesus is victor. Satan is defeated. I, have to, I like to think of the devil as like a, a rabid dog. You know, he's got rabies. He's going to have to be put down, but not without a fight. And the enemy, he's already lost. 1 John 4, 4, he says, listen, you are from God and you have overcome the world. Because the one who is greater in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the spiritual forces. Romans 16, 19, I want you to be wise about what is good, innocent about what is evil. Listen to this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, it says in Romans. Listen, Jesus pulverized the head of the serpent on the cross, but daily we are crushing the enemy's plans in this life. Satan is being crushed under our feet when we pray. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you. Are you ready to fight? Second Timothy, he says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, this is 1-7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Are you ready to fight? It's already been won. Followers of Jesus, be fearless, he says, because we've won. I want to end by reading a part of Ephesians that is not very interesting or boring. Uh, it's kind of boring, but it's a, a last couple of verses. And if you didn't miss a single Sunday over the last couple of months, we went verse by verse through every verse of Ephesians. And this is the very last of it. He says this, but there's a reason why it's here, and I want you to catch this. Ephesians 6.20 when he says, uh, Tychicus, dear brother, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything about what's going on in my life, he says, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. And I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, 
that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Listen, this reflects the relationship with God and the work that God is doing in his life. And I want you to write this down. This is the last thing, is that this battle has real results in real life. See, this letter was written to real people dealing with real issues, and it was covered in real prayer. And the results were real life change. And he says, I'm sending someone to tell you all about what God's doing here. And I know he's going to excite you and encourage you because God is working through the prayers of his people. So listen, God's hand is moving. And when we pray, God works. God moves. In this letter, we learned how to stand and who we are in Christ. We walk through what it means to live and to be Christ in our daily life. And as he wraps it up, he says, run, not, a, not away from the enemy, but to Jesus Christ and stand firm against the enemy because he is a liar, he is a thief, he has a plan against you, but our God has won. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive a little bit more into this invisible war. We're going to pull back the curtain on the enemy. We're going to talk about demons and angels. We're going to talk about prayer and, and how powerful it is and how sometimes it's misunderstood. Don't miss Anything in the next couple of weeks. It could be possibly the most important weeks of your life. If you can listen to it online, that'd be great too. The spiritual war is very real. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that right now, God, you have won through the cross of Christ. God, there are some people here the enemy is attacking right now. Some of those schemes that we talked about are, are working and at play, and the enemy's shooting at them like fiery darts against, against their very soul and against their family and life. And God, I pray that they'd be aware of the enemy's schemes and lies. I want you just for a moment, maybe right where you're sitting, try to identify maybe what the enemy's attack on you is. Maybe it's on your self-esteem, on who Christ says you are. Maybe it's on your family. Maybe it's discouragement. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's health. Maybe the enemy is trying to stop you from your spiritual growth and to, to stifle you and just to put you in a place of stagnant. Can you identify the enemy? Now I want you to think for a moment the only way to win through Jesus Christ. So take a moment, just call out to Jesus. Jesus, I need you in my life. Go ahead and tell him, especially in that area where you feel attacked, God, I need you in this area of my life right now. Do it. Take the energy. Say it in that prayer or in your, in your heart with your own lips. Put some action into it. Help us to identify the, the lies of the enemy and help us to know that you are the victor, you are the winner. God, if anyone be in Christ, he is new. He is the old things have passed away. And in you, greater are, are we in you than anything that this world has to, has to bring against us, the enemy has to bring against us. Call out to him right now. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge you as my Lord. This is the only place I'll find victory, Jesus, in you. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.